Act Three of A Wife Without a Smile by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Third Act. The scene remains the same, and the disposition of the furniture is exactly as at the beginning of the preceding act. A bed pillow, a couple of blankets, and a suit of pyjamas on the settee on the right give evidence that the settee has been slept upon. Some articles of clothing, apparently cast aside overnight, a dressing gown, and a couple of bath towels litter the room. Lying upon the settee on the left, neatly folded, are a coat and waistcoat, and upon the small table are a mirror, a case of razors, a strop, a hot water jug, a shaving pot, a set of hairbrushes, and other toilet requisites. The planchette has gone, but the doll still hangs from the ceiling. The door on the left is open, and the hall door closed. Outside, on the embankment wall, a man's bathing dress is drying in the morning sun. Foley is valeting Rippingill, who stands haggard and aged in the middle of the room. The man takes the waistcoat and coat from the settee on the left and puts Rippingill into them. There is a knock at the hall door, and Foley goes to the door and opens it. Bates, the parlourmaid, enters, carrying Rippingill's breakfast, the principal item of which is a solitary egg. Bates to Rippingill, who has seated himself upon the settee on the left. Your breakfast, sir. Thank you, Bates. Foley, to Bates, after she has set the tray upon the oval table. Give me a hand, Olga. The servants, eyeing Rippingill inquisitively, collect the things scattered about the room. Foley, finding himself overburdened, attempts to add the suit of pyjamas to Bates's lighter load. You forget yourself, Mr. Foley. They withdraw. Upon opening the hall door, they encounter Webmarsh and Christabel. The Webmarshes enter as the servants depart. The Webmarshes to Rippingill. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning. May we ask how you have slept? We hope fairly. Slept? Looking up at the doll. That doll has been dancing almost without a pause the whole night through. Retribution! I dozed at intervals, but only to dream of her and young Trude. I... I could declare it's jumping now. No, no, no. It's quite motionless. Pointing to the breakfast tray. I advise you to eat your egg. Christabel, advancing. Why don't you cut the disgraceful thing down, Mr. Rippingill, in a gentlemanlike spirit? Rippingill, rising. Because, madam, I am accused by your husband and yourself, of having committed a gross breach of taste in hanging it there. Can there be two opinions on the subject? Webmarsh, sitting on the settee on the right. You would defend your outrageous prank, Ripping Gill? With my last breath. The act was more appropriate, perhaps, 
to a sportive lad than to one whose bark is tossing heavily in the rolling forties but i am incapable of transgressing the rules of good breeding christabel offers him a knife from the breakfast tray no that would be tantamount to confessing to a modicum of justice in the charge let other hands remove it sitting in the armchair how is my how is avis radiant her face retains that dreadful smile dreadful i make no pretence to originality of thought or expression when i remark that women's smiles are nature's jewels christabel shows her teeth at webmarsh winningly avis has a rich collection of gems then are any steps decided upon do you know christabel to webmarsh haynes will you speak first <clears throat> certainly christabel coming to rippingill in the meantime your egg is getting cold rippingill rising dash my egg christabel wincing <sighs> webmarsh rising rippingill my wife is unaccustomed to outbreaks of this kind i beg your pardon seating himself at the oval table and pouring out his tea well webmarsh advancing to rippingill the matter was thoroughly threshed out over the dinner-table last night and again this morning at breakfast christabel she sits on the settee on the right a letter to the framing of which i have lent the assistance of a practice pen will accompany the communication you have already addressed to miss philpot pending the arrival of that lady from bath it is proposed that your existing domestic arrangements be strictly adhered to existing arrangements you continue to enjoy the sole and exclusive occupancy of this boathouse while she remains at the villa my darling forgive me dear while she remains unmolested in the more commodious building in my charge under the chaperonage of my wife you are sent rippingill rising teacup and saucer in hand oh if propriety demands such a course if christabel wincing again <sighs> rippingill meekly after sipping his tea this place grows excessively chilly at dawn i presume i may be allowed an extra blanket i think we may take so much upon ourselves christabel i feel sure she would desire it i i should like to be satisfied upon one point is is avis still obdurate obdurate on the question of our ultimate remarriage webmarsh to christabel christabel webmarsh makes way for christabel who advances to rippingill 
she produces her pocket handkerchief. A ring is knotted to one of its corners. Mr Rippingill, I have received instructions from my dear friend Miss Mecklejohn to restore you this. Mecklejohn? Avis's maiden name? Christabel, putting the ring into his hand. With Miss Mecklejohn's regards and best wishes for your future. Her... her wedding ring? His cup shakes so violently in his saucer that it is in danger of falling. She takes both cup and saucer from him and replaces them on the breakfast tray. Christabel, as she does so... Permit me. Mrs. Levette peeps in at the hall door, sees Rippingill, and enters hastily. Seema. Dora. Mrs. Levette, shaking hands with him sympathetically. What sort of night have you passed? I am almost afraid to inquire. Horrible. Ah, you are in no fit state to receive a fresh shock. Fresh? Something has happened. Avis? She wishes to see you, Seymour. She has an important announcement to make. Announcement? Announcement? She... she is engaged to be married... To Mr. Trude. Rippingill sinks onto the settee on the right. <gasps> Haynes! Webmarsh to Christabel. My darling, this romance grows hourly. Mrs. Levette, sitting in the armchair. I left them at the breakfast table for barely a moment, and when I returned it was all over. Christabel, sitting on the settee on the left. What a delightful young fellow. Webmarsh to Christabel. I don't think I have told you, Christabel, that he has read my Influence of the Russian Novelists and Other Essays. I am not surprised. Well, you can't get off with that for a wedding present, at any rate. Rippingill, dully, staring at the floor and slowly rubbing his knees. Nobody mentioned that Trude had been breakfasting up at the house. He arrived during breakfast. We had our work cut out to persuade him to peel a peach. He has a rare independence of character, young Trude. The viper, the snake in the grass, the double-faced. Oh, cruelly unjust. I fancy, Rippingill, that if you could be induced to eat your egg, you would form a more equitable estimate of Mr. Trude's conduct. And of your conduct also, Mr. Rippingill. Mrs. Levette, rising and reseating herself beside Rippingill. It appears, Seymour, that this young man and woman have unconsciously been in love with one another for over a year. Webmarsh, sitting in the armchair. Each unsuspicious of the other's feelings, each equally oblivious to his own, of her own, his and her own, their own. Producing a notebook and turning its pages. I wrote a brief description last night of their curious mutuality of sentiment the phraseology of which is slightly less involved. 
Yes, and their heart's secret would have remained unspoken, unguessed, but for the sudden disclosure of yesterday. Rising ecstatically. That it was which released the torrent and the pent-up waters, bursting down in their mad career every barrier of conventionality and circumspection, drew these young people together in a headlong, eager, lingering embrace. Oh, it's fine. It's purple. Webmarsh, taking out his pocket pen. Christabel, you will favour me by repeating your eloquent tirade. She stands over him while he writes, dictating sentence after sentence. Mrs. Lovette to Rippingill. Ah, dear Seymour, one recalls now with painful distinctness Mr. Trude's account of the life at the boarding-house in Westbourne Terrace. Rippingill, gradually recovering his ideas. Mother Colross's. The second floor landing. Every evening before dinner. The light entering at the coloured window. Avis of the shimmering hair. Yes, the luxuriant coil at the back. <laughs> he rises and paces the room, a vindictive gleam in his eye. Mrs. Levette, following him. I thank heaven your sense of humour is beginning to reassert itself. <laughs> Webmarsh, annoyed. Tut-tut-tut. To escape interrupting, he transfers himself to the settee on the right. Christabel joins him, and with impassioned gestures, continues dictating. Rippingill, facing Mrs. Levette. Dora, I understand you to say that... Avis is anxious to meet me? Yes, yes. I am prepared to receive her here. I'll tell her. Or I will wait upon her by appointment at the house. Ha-ha! <laughs> is she at home this afternoon? Mrs. Levette, laying her hands upon his shoulders. <laughs> Bless the man! He is in the old happy vein again. She runs out into the garden and disappears. Webmarsh, glancing at the retreating figure. A terribly distracting person. To Rippingill. Rippingill? Avis of the shimmering hair. Avis of the shimmering. To Webmarsh. Eh? Webmarsh, rising, tapping his notebook. I want you, when you have a minute or two to spare, to enable me to fill in a few lacunae in these notes of mine. Notes? Notes concerning your unfortunate association with the charming young lady to whom I have been privileged to be of some small service. And pray... With what object? Webmarsh, raising a hand. Shush, shush, shush! Don't be hasty, Rippingill. The details, necessary as they are for my purpose, will be obscured by artistic treatment. It is possible that your connection with the finished product will escape recognition outside a limited circle. The finished product? 
Christabel, seated upon the city on the right, opening her eyes widely. Haynes! Webmarsh, turning to her with a smile. No wonder you complained of my restlessness last night, dearest. Christabel, it has long been my ambition to add to the store of the world's creative literature. Christabel, rising, her hands clasped in admiration. Oh! What? Christabel, to Webmarsh. You are inspired by the startling events which have taken place here? I am. Rippingill walks away wrathfully. Webmarsh seats himself upon the settee on the left. I am convinced that the history of Rippingill's unpostrous conjugal adventures furnishes a motive so unique, so powerful, so prolific, that the intelligent public cannot fail to leap to it. Rippingill returning. Webmarsh. This is an indelicate intrusion on my private affairs. You have ceased to have any private affairs, Rippingill. You have become simply a human document. Human document? Christabel, to Webmarsh, standing over him. You are right. What a novel it will make. Mrs. Webmarsh. A novel. Christabel, closing her eyes. Ah, I picture the design on the binding. Do you? Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, my present inclinations tend rather towards the drama. The drama? The drama? Webmarsh to Christabel. Surely you will not deny, Christabel, that the drama stands desperately in need of rehabilitation. Deny it? Nobody ever denies that, but... Now look here, Webmarsh. Sitting in the armchair. Whether or not the drama needs rehabilitating, I strongly protest against its being rehabilitated at my expense. How typically English. Rising and moving towards Rippingill. Here, then, we have a theme glowing with igneous vitality. I go further, supplied, too, by a section of middle-class society normally shallow and soulless. Shallow and soulless? Christabel, sitting upon the city on the left. I have no wish to discourage you, Haynes. My only misgiving... I fathom your thoughts, Christabel. Oh, but this is not a task for one of those fellows who have the tricks of their trade at their fingertips. Walking about between Christabel and Rippingill. This is for a writer, impetuous, ignorant, who can hurl, as it were, chunks of raw, bleeding humanity upon the boards. Webmarsh, I may be... I am... Decidedly raw. Christabel, catching Webmarsh's enthusiasm. Ah, oh, what a denouement for your play! What an end! Webmarsh, pausing. I doubt if it should have an end, dearest. It should, as I conceive it, belong to that order of dramatic productions which is all beginning and middle. 
but no end, no end. Ha! Endless. Endless. No, no. The custom of late dining and early supping restricts you to the hours of nine till eleven. Christabel, seeing Avis. Ah! Avis enters from the garden, bright-eyed and rosy and as gay as a lark. She is followed by Trude, who carries a brown paper parcel. Rippingill moves over to the left as Christabel rushes at the young couple effusively. Christabel, kissing Avis. Oh, you naughty-warty duckiest of ducklings! To go and get engaged behind your Christy-Wisty's back! <laughs> Christabel, giving Trude her hand warmly. Monster! I ought to hate you! Webmarsh, shaking hands with Avis. Miss Micklejohn, I hope that future joys are to atone amply for the sorrows of the past. Shaking hands with Trude. Mr. Trude, may one fortunate man shake hands with another. Avis, approaching Rippingill. Uh, Seymour. Rippingill, facing her with forced composure. Avis? Mrs. Lovett has explained. Vivian. Bringing Trude forward and presenting him to Rippingill. My fiancé. Rippingill, scowling at Trude. Nice morning. Trude, scowling at Rippingill. Very. Advancing to Rippingill haughtily. I am indebted to you for the loan, made through your servant yesterday, of certain articles of clothing. Avis, to Rippingill. After the shower, you remember. Trude, handing Rippingill the brown paper parcel. In the altered circumstances, my spirit of independence obliges me to return them without delay. Christabel, with Webmarsh at the door on the left. Noble. Quite, quite. Rippingill, after laying the parcel aside upon the oval table, to Trude. You, ah, uh, you keep the shoes. Shoes? My shoes. Pointing to Avis. You are standing in them. Trude, walking away. Ha! A joke. Avis, sitting upon the settee on the right. <laughs> Christabel. To Webmarsh. Exceedingly ill-timed. Atrocious. The Webmarshes withdraw reluctantly. Avis to Rippingill. You may crack as many of your little jokes now as you choose, Seymour. I don't care. I consider it so proper of you not to rave and go on unreasonably. But oh, I'll be absolutely candid with you. The tortures I have endured these last two months. Rippingill, approaching her. Tortures? Avis, looking up at the ceiling. What did you use to bore that hole in the ceiling? A gimlet. You goose, you could have done it with one of your funny stories. With one of my... <laughs> Do drop that maddening smile. You... You, you mean to convey that you have been bored, Avis? To death. He sinks into the armchair. Whew. Closing her eyes. 
How often have I wished myself back in that dear, moldy old Westbourne Terrace? You were dull enough there, in all conscience, you ungrateful woman. Trude, advancing warningly. Rippingill. In a way I was. In a way that a girl may be dull without tumbling to it. But since, when I found out what Aunt Amy had done in saddling me onto a... to a gentleman with a sense of humor... Aunt Amy? Did she? Why, of course she did it. Rippingill, his eyes bolting. By Jove, so she did. What do you think? Rising and joining Trude on the left. Vivian has been fearfully depressed too. Oh, we've both had a terrible experience. And for how long has this inexcusable reciprocity of feeling been existing between you? We can't be positive. We suppose it began to grow imperceptibly at the very earliest stage of our acquaintance. Trude, approaching Rippingill. On turning the matter over in my mind while shaving this morning, I came to the conclusion that the origin of my attachment to the lady is clearly traceable to our habit of meeting upon the stairs at Mother Colross's. Ah, before dinner. And occasionally later. Avis, sitting on the settee on the left. There was plenty of gaslight on the second floor landing. That also, I assume, cast a flickering gleam upon the seated figure of Miss Micklejohn. Exactly. Ha <laughs> ha, Avis of the shimmering hair. Trude, gazing mournfully at Avis's head. Its tone was wonderful in those far-off days. Rippingill, rising, a strange expression in his face. Well, my dear sir, I assure you, you need have no apprehension of permanent deterioration. Permanent? The new tail is several shades more golden than the one she is wearing this morning. The new? Seymour! The tail which came home from Marcel's last week. Avis, rising. Oh! Rippingill, to Trude. You must ask her to grace the dinner table with it tonight. Avis. She is guiltily silent. Avis! To Rippingill. Coward. Walking away to the right. Patroon. Avis, to Rippingill. You spiteful little toad. Rippingill, unnaturally calm. You have impelled me to this. Wasp. Caterpillar. The good that was in me has been stifled. There is no enormity I could not commit. Avis. Going to Trude. Vivian. Foley appears, entering from the garden. Foley to Rippingill. I beg your pardon, sir. Mr. Pullinger. Where? Driving his motor car up and down the road, sir. Up and down? Foley at the oval table. Yes, sir. Over obstacles. Obstacles? I've been laying down some nails and bottles for him, sir. Taking up the breakfast tray. He wants you to come outside and see some extraordinary, unpuncturable tires he's running with. 
Tell Mr. Pullinger I'll see his tires. A startlingly loud double report is heard. Avis clings to Trude and Foley lets the tray fall upon the table. Foley, after a pause. Bust. Rippingill, with the utmost satisfaction. Ah. With head erect and hands under his coattails, he walks slowly out into the garden and disappears on the right. Foley, taking up the tray again. Phillips, let me some nice little nasty French tacks, Mum. Avis, sitting in the armchair, sulkily. Foley. Foley, halting with the tray in the archway. Mum? The Landau at half past ten to go to Cookham Church. Uh, certainly, Mum. Foley withdraws. Trude, with a heavy brow, walks across to the left and sits on the settee. Avis, after a short silence. Vivian? Oh, it's of no consequence. Another illusion shattered, that's all. The sneak. Those who dwell in glass houses. I've seen his dentist's bill. It's a lack of frankness on a girl's part that hurts a man. You know how the fellows at Colross has admired you? Passing his hand over the back of his head. On account of... On account of... Avis, shrugging her shoulders. I've forgotten. Why, ye sat to me and young Claude Harker for that alone? Very probably. You needn't have sat at all. You might just as well have sent it round to the studio. Oh, oh, oh. Trude rises and approaches her. She transfers herself angrily to the settee on the right. No, thanks. I'm not to be bullied one minute and fondled the next. Oh, as you please. Sitting in the armchair, staring at the carpet. At any rate, this explanation will have cleared the air. The shimmering air. Trude, regarding her with mingled surprise and reproach. <laughs> as the husband is, the wife is. Thou'rt mated... Over recently, with a clown, and the grossness of his nature, evidently, has had weight to drag thee down. Rats. Avis. Look here. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make a present of it to my maid, Rhodes. Her hair is nearly the colour of mine. And then, when we are married, if ever you have to paint a hand that shimmers, there she will be. My dear girl. Eh? A maid. When we're married. Avis, her jaw falling. Oh, no. I... I suppose not. You, uh... You had no maid in Westbourne Terrace. No. Anybody that came along used to lace me up in Westbourne Terrace. Trude, rising and reseating himself by her side. Dearest... Why should we not endeavour to lead that blissful, dreamful, memorable time over again? Avis pouting. Oh, I dare say I could manage to go back to the old, rotten, hugger-mugger style of existence if I tried. Really, if that's your view. Shh, don't get wild. Nestling up to him. I realise, Vivian, that in the early days of our married life, ours must be quite a humble menagerie. 
Trude correcting her. Menage. Aphis, her head upon his shoulder. Menage, do you call it? Sighing. Still. Ah, oh, Rhodes is only a thirty-pounder. Only a thirty-pounder? Starting up. Avis, are you aware? Have you the faintest notion of the condition of art in this country? Avis, with a nod. It's a bit off. Precisely. As to my ultimately achieving fame and fortune, I have happily no misgivings. None whatever. But till then... Avis, making a wry face. Till then, economy. The strictest economy. Yes, <laughs> my stars, I've been there. Webmarsh and Christabel re-enter the door on the left, breathlessly, as if they have been running. Where is he? Avis, rising. He? Mr. Rippingill. We heard the report of a firearm. No, that was a tyre of Mr. Pullinger's motor car. A tyre? A tyre, merely. We feared the unhappy man had expiated his faults by a bullet. Webmarsh, sitting in the chair by the piano. It seems we need not have hurried, Christabel. Avis, going to Christabel. What do you think? Seymour has given my back hair away. Never. Gospel. Brute. Securing her own hair. Is nothing sacred? Webmarsh, rising and coming to Avis. In one of Ibsen's plays, there is the sound of a pistol shot. But there has been no pistol shot. No, no, I thoroughly understand. Pullinger enters from the garden, followed by Mrs. Levette and Rippingill. Pullinger is wearing an elaborate motor costume. Pullinger, advancing to Avis. Good morning, madam. To Webmarsh. Good morning, Mr. Webster. To Christabel. Good morning. Webmarsh, to Christabel, joining her behind the oval table. Annoyed. Webster. Christabel, to Webmarsh. Hm, illiterate fellow. Pullinger, frowning at Trude, who is behind the smaller table. Pish. Sir. Pullinger, to Avis. My good lady, you will excuse me for saying that I am indignant, profoundly indignant, at the treatment which is being meted out to my old friend Rippingill. Indeed. I pronounce it. To Rippingill. I have administered the same rebuke, Rip, on many occasions in dealing with our shareholders. To Avis. I pronounce it to be neither more nor less than abominable. Avis, to Pullinger. Yes, you are the head of a large business, aren't you? I am. As a rule, do you find any very great difficulty in minding it? <laughs> what a refreshing sense of humour. Rippingill, advancing. Ha <laughs> ha I am bound to admit, Jack, he, he... He... I beg your pardon. Pullinger, stroking his moustache, turns away and joins Mrs. Levette in the bay window. Avis, vivaciously. <laughs> calling to Mrs. Levette. 
Mrs. Levette. Some of us are going to Cookham Church. The carriage is ordered for half-past ten. No, thank you, Miss Micklejohn. Avis, canting. Mr. Trude, Mrs. Webmarsh, me. There's room for another. To Webmarsh? You won't. Why not? I have never regarded church-going as incompatible with the higher bohemianism. How jolly! Shall we get ready? The Webmarshes move to the hall door. Avis finds herself face to face with Rippingill. Oh, I am short of silver. Have you any? Silver? For my thanks offering. After a little consideration, he selects a small coin from a handful of money and puts it into her extended palm. She views the coin with scorn. You haven't such a thing as a microscope about you, have you? A week ago, it would have been at least half a crown. Stingy. To those at the window. Tra-la-la. She joins the webmarshes and Trude, and they all take their departure. Mrs. Levette, advancing. Ha! This is her real nature come to the surface. Under the skin, the creature is simply a pert, brazen hussy. Pullinger, also leaving the window, having divested himself of his motor costume. No doubt of it. Like thousands of investors before him... Rippingill was misled by the prospectus. Prospectus? By a pretty, pearly complexion. And a thin veneer of boarding-house gentility. Pullinger, hobbling about the room. I repeat, I am boiling with indignation. Mrs. Levette, going to Rippingill, who is sitting on the settee on the right and is staring into vacancy with watery eyes. Still, it might be worse. You are rid of her, Seymour. That painting puppy trude! Mrs. Levette, seating herself beside Rippingill. You must force yourself to look upon it in that light. These Websters, Weblings! Mrs. Levette, putting an arm round Rippingill's shoulder. And you must forget how your poor nose has been rubbed, metaphorically, in the gravel. To think that such people encumber the earth, walk, talk, sleep, eat the firm's biscuits. Mrs. Levette to Rippingill. Come, come. Why, when I left you to go back to the house, you were laughing heartily. Oh, Dora, I have laughed heartily for the last time. Don't, don't say more. He snivels. That's right. There's nothing like a good cry. Pullinger's attention is arrested by the attitude of the pair towards each other, and he stands watching them with intense interest. Rippingill, searching his pockets for a handkerchief. Ah, if fifteen years ago, when I first knew you, Dora. Sixteen, isn't it? Mrs. Levette, producing her pocket handkerchief. There, or thereabouts. If I had been wiser, less... de-de-diffident. Mrs. Levette, dabbing her eyes. Hasn't Foley put a handkerchief in your pocket? No, the neglectful beast 
Mrs. Levant, giving him her handkerchief. Dear, dear old friend. Good heavens! Eh? Pullinger advancing. Rip, what a glorious opportunity! Opportunity? Of revenging yourself. Revenging? Oh, say rather, retaliating in kind. If Mrs. Lovett would but lend me her cooperation. I. I don't. And enable you to reconstruct your company, uh, uh, your household. Mrs. Lovett rising and walking away. You must really be more explicit. Bullinger to Rippingill. If you could show them all that you can transfer your allegiance as promptly as that vulgar young woman has done. Rippingill rising. Jack. Bullinger pointing to Mrs. Lovett. Placing this amiable lady in a position of wifely authority in your establishment. Jack. Oh, Jack. An absurd suggestion. Pullinger to her. Absurd? Putting other considerations aside, I contend that a friendship of fifty years standing... Fifteen. Fifteen could have no culmination more felicitous. Revenge? Mrs. Levette, seating herself upon the settee on the left. Mr. Pullinger. Revenge. Rip. Rippingill, crossing rapidly but unsteadily to Mrs. Levette and standing before her. Dora? I won't hear of it. Listen, I cannot bring you, I do not profess to bring you, the love of a callow, inexperienced youth. On the contrary, I am a man who has passed through the furnace. Mrs. Levette, contracting her brows. Two furnaces. Two, if you will. But I do offer you the devotion of one whose deep well of affection, however frequently the... 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 Bucket? No, no. Mrs. Levette, to Pullinger. Pray be silent. However frequently it has been drawn upon is far from dry. Dora? Mrs. Levette, breathing heavily. This, this is as a blow to a defenceless woman. Speak, Dora. To say that I am dumbfounded would be to give too faint an idea of the emotions that crowd upon me. Speak. I am speaking. What else am I doing? Shielding her face with her hand. Gentlemen, that you should both be present, both be witnesses. Rippingill, walking away readily. I will leave you. Mrs. Levette, rising. No, no, not you. Rippingill passes quickly through the hall and vanishes into the garden. Pullinger, moving towards the hall. Rip. To Mrs. Levette. Ah, oh, he's gone. Mrs. Levette, much ruffled. I was about to tell him that I must have time, time to weigh everything carefully. Pullinger, returning to her. Madam, at our age, we have no time to spare. Mrs. Levette, walking away to the window. 
Speak for yourself, Mr. Pullinger. I do. Last night, for instance, lying awake feverishly, disturbed by thoughts of Rimmingill's embarrassments, the notion occurred to me of constructing an air pillow which should maintain a cool, equable temperature. Mrs. Levett, peering out of the window in search of Rippingill. A highly original idea. The Pillinger Pillow, a boon for the sleepless. And do you imagine, my dear lady, that I intend to take time over it? Mrs. Levett, leaving the window. You will excuse me. No. Even while I have been talking to you and Rip, that marvelous double consciousness peculiar to the human brain has been at full pressure. Oh, has it? Pullinger, drumming with his fingers upon his forehead. There's no avoiding it, Mrs. Lovett. The design includes a small engine driven by gas or electric power at the bedside. Mrs. Lovett, sinking into the armchair. Lord mercy. Rippingill reappears suddenly, entering at the door on the left. Seymour. Rippingill, confronting Mrs. Lovett. Dora Lovett, I do not offer you, you can never hope to get from me, the love of an unfledged boy. Mrs. Lovett, rising with emotion. Seymour, if love of that sort were to grow at my feet, I would not stoop to pluck it. What am I to understand? Mrs. Lovett, going to him and leaning upon his arm. Ah. They sit together upon the settee on the left, he with a troubled air. Who could have anticipated this? No, we must make the best of it. The best of it? I mean, we must strive to make each other happy, Dora. Indeed. Pullinger, absorbed, looking at them absently. Oh, there is only one drawback that I can foresee. Drawback? Mm, vibration. Vibration? Perhaps occasional oscillation. Rippingill, rising anxiously. Oh, Jack, why? Which would be fatal to the chances of repose. Rippingill, plucking at Pullinger's sleeve. Jack, you alarm me. Ah, your invention, Mr. Pullinger. <laughs> Mr. Pullinger's invention. Yes, Rip, a priceless, inestimable gift to mankind. Rippingill, relieved. Oh, your luggage label, Jack? <laughs> no, no. Rising himself. But I haven't wished you joy. Bless you. Advancing to Mrs. Lovett. Bless you. Apropos, the most ravishing spot in creation for a honeymoon. It is in Wales. To her. Jot it down before it escapes me. Mrs. Lovett, rising and reseating herself at the writing table. You bold man, you. No trains, no post, no papers, nothing. No papers? Pullinger to Mrs. Lovett. Two L's. Mrs. Lovett, writing. Two L's. Two L's, two N's, two Y's. 
Two W's, one I-T-H. A hand on Ripping Girl's shoulder. And now you proceed to fire your first bombshell. Ripping Girl, biting his nails. At once? Pullinger, tugging at his moustache. Send a message to your stables. Your carriage is not at the disposal of Mrs. Miss, uh, your late wife and her supporters. Not? You require it this morning to take a lady for a drive. Mrs. Lovett? Mrs. Lovett, your coachman reports to the house, and the bomb bursts. Mrs. Lovett, rising. I think I should prefer a more ceremonious method. Have they observed ceremony? To Rippingill. Where's your bell? Discovering the telephone. The telephone. Better. Mrs. Levette retires to the bay window as Pullinger hobbles to the telephone and rings at it vigorously. Rippingill, fortifying himself. Revenge! 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 Pullinger, after listening at the telephone. Come along, Rip. Eh? Sharp. Rippingill, going to the telephone and speaking to it. I want Foley. Foley. What? Oh. Leaving the telephone in a hurry. Avis. Go back. It's Avis. Pullinger, leading him to the instrument. Go back. Avis is at the other end. At the telephone again, mildly. Oh, is that you, my pet? Mrs. Levette, coming forward. No, no. Pullinger, by the piano. No, no. Not your pet. Rippingill, over the top of the piano. What's the matter? You are calling her your pet. Mrs. Levette, taking Pullinger's place. I'm your pet. I beg your pardon. The force of habit. Go back. Rippingill, returning to the telephone. Are you there? Touching the carriage? I say, touching my carriage. No, my carriage. Oh, I am perfectly well aware you haven't left yet. Impudence. Unblushing effrontery. At any rate, you can't have it this morning. Am I not intelligible? You cannot have it this morning. You can't have it. You can't have it. You can't have it. You shan't have it. Pullinger, walking away to the right and sitting on the settee. Excellent. The reason? By all means. Don't you shout at me. Mrs. Levette, sitting in the chair by the piano. Minx. I am going to give a lady a drive. Yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am. We'll see. Yes, we will see. Certainly, if you desire to know. Mrs. Lovett. Mrs. Stanley Lovett. Oh! Recoiling. What language? He drops into the armchair with a groan. What language? 
Rippingill is silent, closing his eyes. A secret between us already, Seymour? What language? She has described me as a beauty. Mrs. Levette, shuddering. Vile woman. Pullinger, rubbing his hands together. However, it's done. What would happen next, Mr. Pullinger? Easily answered. Foley or the coachman will come down for orders. To Rippingill? You give him your orders and a note to Miss... Miss... Micklejohn. Informing her of your engagement to Mrs. Lovett. Immediate result? An exhibition of abject humility. Mrs. Lovett and Rippingill nodding their heads in satisfaction. Abject, Abject humility. humility. Pullinger, rising. Shall I draft the note? Thank you, Jack. Pullinger goes to the writing table, where he sits and prepares to write. Mrs. Levette joins him and stands, looking over his shoulder. Hmm, first or third person? Third. Rippingill, rising. Third. I wish there was a fourth. Pulling himself together, Rippingill takes the chair which is standing by the piano and plants it firmly in the middle of the room. Then he seats himself astride it defiantly. Pullinger, writing. Mr. Seymour Rippingill. Rippingill, dictating. Mr. James Seymour Rippingill begs leave to present his compliments to Miss Avis Michael John, to Miss Avis Emily Michaeljohn. No, she is Miss Michaeljohn simply. Avis, Christabel, Trude, and Webmarsh enter from the garden. They are all dressed for church and are carrying prayer books. Avis, hearing mention of her name and advancing. I'm here. Pullinger jumps up and Mrs. Levette utters a cry. Rippingill getting off his chair hurriedly. Avis! What are you up to? Madam? What are you up to? Miss Michael John? Out with it! Out with it! Rippingill, after a pause, bringing Mrs. Levette forward. My fiancé. Your... Haynes! Christabel? This lady will honor me by becoming my wife directly any legal impediment which may exist is removed. Avis, confronting Mrs. Levette. Well, this is a nice little game of tennis, upon my word. Don't presume to address me. To Rippingill, who is by her side. Seymour. Absolutely scandalous. Whipmarsh, producing his notebook and sitting on the settee on the right. To Christabel. Hush! One of the scenes are fair. Avis, tearing off her gloves. To Mrs. Lovette. You worm yourself into my house on a visit. Your house? Until I am fetched by my Aunt Amy? Certainly. I wonder if any of the spoons and forks are missing. Mrs. Lovette to Rippingill. Come away. Mrs. Levette is leading Rippingill towards the hall when Avis catches hold of him and forces him into the chair in the centre of the room. 
He sits there facing the window, a passive figure, while the ladies thoughtlessly emphasise their remarks by rapping upon his head. No, not before I've had my say. Unless you moderate your tone. Here's a pretty turnabout. Yesterday morning at breakfast, you were all for the advantages of remaining a widow. Yesterday my heart had not been melted. Oh, it's a case of hearts and darts, is it? Hold your tongue. I shan't. Yesterday my bosom had not been wrung by the sufferings of this unfortunate man. Ho-ho! He'll soon forget his misfortunes in your tender care, won't he? He will. Mm, yes. You made short work of poor old Levette, though, didn't you? Oh! How's that? If I had a pair of soiled gloves on, I'd slap your face. What? Seymour! Seizing Rippingill, she drags him into the hall and they disappear. Avis flushed. Ah, ah, ah. Christabel folding her in an embrace. Sweetest, be calm, be calm. Why upset your dear self over what is, after all, a mere trifle? Avis releasing herself impatiently. Trifle? It can be nothing more. Ah, oh, my Avis wouldn't act like the naughty dog in the manger. Webmarsh, interposing himself between Christabel and Avis, notebook and pen in hand. Miss Micklejohn, there was an observation of yours to Mrs. Lovett. Avis, sitting on the settee on the left, panting. Oh, don't bother me. Hey, Christabel? Trude, who has been looking on in astonishment. Advancing. I cannot help agreeing with Mrs. Webmarsh, Avis. Can't you? I utterly fail to see our Mr. Rippingill's domestic concerns. His domestic? Hitting the palm of her hand with her fist forcibly. My stars, I don't intend to stand by quietly while that woman steals my husband from under my very nose. Your husband? husband? The suspended doll dances. Avis, pointing to the doll. Oh. With a yell, she pushes aside those who surround her and rushes through the hall. Trude, looking at the others. This behaviour on Avis's part, most unaccountable. Webmarsh, closing his notebook. It is at this point, Christabel, that fiction will disassociate itself entirely from fact. Hark! What's, What's that? that? Trude and the webmarshes move to the archway and there listen intently. The doll becomes still. Pullinger is seen in the bay window, stupefied by the events which are taking place, struggling into his motor costume. Webmarsh to Christabel. Shush, shush, shush. Your skirt is rustling. Christabel clinging to Webmarsh. Haynes! To whom does the shrill voice belong? To Avis. I can hear nobody but Avis. Christabel, stifling a shriek. <gasps> there goes a chair. Or was it a falling body? <gasps> Somebody's coming. Mrs. Lovett. Mrs. Lovett, breaking through the group, totters across the room and drops upon the settee on the left. Trude and the webmarshes gather round her. Oh, oh, oh! Mrs. Lovett! Mrs. Lovett! 
Let me recover my breath, and then I'll get out of this wild beast show. The low baggage, the fiend in human form, the she-devil. Pullinger appears before Mrs. Levette fully accoutred, even to the wearing of a hideous mask. Madam? Ah! Recognising him and leaping to her feet. You! I regret to gather from your tone that my face has ceased to be agreeable to you. It has. Considerate of you to hide it. Pullinger, removing his cap and mask apologetically. Oh. Mrs. Lovett, I freely acknowledge that my calculations have not, perhaps, been fulfilled to the letter. They never are. They weren't yesterday. They never will be. Following him to the right as he retreats before her. You, you, you are a methodical, ingenious, consummate muddler. Dear lady. Mrs. Lovett, tearfully. Yes, you can j jot that down before you forget it. Christabel, looking towards the hall. Avis. Avis enters with Rippingill, her arm through his. They stand in the middle of the room, silently. She with an air of complacency, he with a shifting eye. Avis! Rip! Mr. Rippingill! Ahem! Presenting Rippingill formally. My fiancé! There is an exclamation from Trude, Pullinger and the Webmarshes. Assisted by Pullinger, Mrs. Lovett sinks on the settee on the right. Trude to Avis. False, deceitful girl. Avis tossing her head. Not at all, Vivian. Only I can't bring myself to resign my big house, and the servants, and my position generally. To that lady especially. Oh, well, it may be that art will be the richer. Going to the door on the left. For the future, she will be my sole goddess. Avis. Sitting with Rippingill on the settee on the left. Very sensible of you, dear boy. Rippingill, I take the liberty of borrowing a boat. To the others. Good day. He departs. Mrs. Lovett rises. To the Rippingills. I suppose I may have to chandra then to carry me to the station. I shall enjoy sitting on the platform for a couple of hours. My carriage is at your service. As Mrs. Levette turns away, Rippingill rises. Avis gently detains him by holding his coat-tail. Dora? Don't dare. Your... your sense of humour. Mrs. Levette, relenting slightly. Same. Eh? It's my firm conviction we've never had any. Moving towards the hall... That's why we have made such fools of ourselves. Avis tugs at Rippingill's coat-tail, and he resumes his seat. Pullinger, following Mrs. Levette. My automobile, if my machination has succeeded in repairing the tires, I entreat you to go in it. Mrs. Levette, wheeling round fiercely. No, you go in it. Go to the place you recommended to me for my honeymoon. Pullinger, confused, holding his head. Recommended? 
the place with two L's. To the web marshes. Good morning. She sweeps through the hall and disappears into the garden. Pullinger addressing Avis humbly. Uh, Miss Micklejohn, I am not sanguine enough to hope that, after the events of today, my visits here will continue to be acceptable. Avis, rising. Extremely kind of you to mention it. Walking away to the right. Your influence hasn't been a very wholesome one for him, has it? Pullinger, wringing Rippingill's hand. Rip. Rip, old friend, I have invented a pillow. A pillow, Jack? The Pullinger pillow, a boon for the sleepless. Glancing at Avis. You shall have the first that leaves the factory. To Avis. Good morning. To the webmarshes. Good morning. He departs as the webmarshes, who have been in close consultation together, come forward. Christabel, to Avis, awkwardly. Uh, Avis, dear, Haynes and I have been talking your affairs over seriously. Of course, I can't help feeling somewhat disappointed. Avis, sitting upon the settee on the right, swinging her foot. Sorry, I'm sure. You see, I place our friendship, young as it is, upon such a high pedestal. However, I am willing to believe that what you have done has been at the dictation of a generous and forgiving nature. To Webmarsh. That being so. That being so, we do not propose to withdraw our protection. With playful gallantry. From the fair Miss Micklejohn. Thanks awfully, but Mrs. Hopkins, the coachman's wife, is a comfortable, motherly woman. The Webmarshes, puzzled. Mrs. Hopkins. Hopkins? She can take on the chaperoning till Auntie turns up, and she won't spread herself quite so much. Webmarsh, after a moment's pause, to Christabel. My darling, I think we will avail ourselves of the accommodation afforded by Mr. Pullinger's automobile. Christabel, in a flurry. Oh, quick, Haynes, or he'll start without us. They make for the garden. Webmarsh to Christabel, suddenly. Wait. Returning and standing before Rippingill. Rippingill? Throughout the many years we have known each other, you have invariably, both in conversation and in composition, split your infinitives. Rippingill, looking up in complete bewilderment. What has that to do with it? Nothing, except that the practice is offensive to the cultured mind. I am stood the strain till now. Good day. He rejoins Christabel, and they depart. Whew! Well, I'm still hostess. Rising. I'd better be in the porch to see him off the premises. Going. You may eat your lunch with me if you like, Seymour. Turning. With me and Mrs. Hopkins. 
stamping her foot. Oh, for heaven's sake, do wake up. A girl doesn't want a man perpetually playing the giddy goat all over the shop. But a husband without a smile? She leaves him. He rises painfully and, mounting a chair, proceeds to cut down the hanging doll with his pocket knife. End of Act Three. End of A Wife Without a Smile by Arthur Wing Pinero. <laughs>